0: So what was I made for? What was I made for? What were you made for? What were any of us made for? Why why are we here right now? Why do we exist? Right? Aren't aren't these the deep uh, existential and ontological questions that humanity has been asking since the dawn of time, right? I mean, why are we here? What was I made for? Why do I exist as as a person? How does any of this work? And depending upon where you've lived at a certain point in history, uh, your culture would have probably answered this question in a myriad of different ways. You would have gotten various answers to various degrees. And I would argue that right now this question of what was I made for is being asked more frequently in our country today than in all of history. What was I made for? Let's talk about it. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Cooper Young. I get to serve as the associate pastor here at Crossroads Community Church, and we are so glad that you could be here. Is anyone excited to be in church? Is anyone happy? Yeah, okay. Wow. The sun comes out and it does something for you. I appreciate that. It was a beautiful morning. Felt a little like fall, uh, but I hope you're still enjoying summer. Okay, we still got some summer left. I hope you're soaking it in, taking some time to rest and relax. We've been in our summer series called Walking in Wisdom, as we have been trying to uh, discover and explore how much wisdom we can really take um, from this book of Proverbs. And so, all throughout the month of July, we were reading a chapter from the Proverbs day, and we're doing it again in August. Okay, so today is August six, which means we all read Proverbs chapter 6. Tomorrow would be 7, all the way to 31. I'm gonna keep encouraging you to do so every week, because I think it's a great thing, and it doesn't help to be encouraged to do so. So uh, so yeah, so that's Proverbs, but but what I really need to talk about is, is 916.1 million dollars. 916.1 million million dollars. Today, it's probably going to be one billion with a B dollars. One billion dollars. The biggest opening of 2023, the biggest, the third biggest opening for a July movie ever, and the biggest opening for a movie that wasn't a sequel or a remake. The Barbie movie. Barbie, have we heard of this? Have you heard of this thing? This thing is nuts, okay? This is the reason why you've probably seen people walking around wearing pink everywhere all the time, all of a sudden. The Barbie movie. Now, here's what I would say. There's a lot of conflicting opinions and things about the Barbie movie. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, maybe you won't see it. Whatever the case is for you, here's what I know to be true. Tons of people are seeing this movie. Millions of people are watching the Barbie movie. I saw it, okay? Guilty as charged. I saw the Barbie movie. I saw the Barbie movie. And I thought the Barbie movie was actually quite helpful for a couple of different reasons, okay? Because the characters in the movie, they pose a lot of different questions, okay, to the audience. And and I think those questions are very helpful because they give me a window into how people in today's culture and society, how they're thinking, what they're thinking about. And so I want to talk about a couple of those things that the movie talks about, okay? So one of the things is this. The question is, How are we supposed to live in this irrevocably messed up world? That's a quote from the movie. How are we supposed to live in this irrevocably messed up world? Which if you've been coming around for any length of time over the past couple of months, you know we actually enjoy talking about this question, right? We think we have some answers to that. How do we live in this irrevocably messed up world? And the movie would answer it by saying it like this. On your own. That's it. On your own. We're not super sure, but all we know is you're probably supposed to do it by yourself. And here's why I know that. Because, and I'm not going to spoil in the movie for you, okay? If you're like, I was seeing it this afternoon. No, you probably weren't. But I'm not going to spoil the movie. But here's what happens. Towards the end of the movie, what Barbie decides in, in answer to this question is that it's not supposed to be Barbie and Ken. It's not supposed to be Barbie and Ken. It's Barbie and it's Ken. There needs to be a clear separation between the two. And again, what we, be, what we begin to see is this messaging of individualism that I keep talking about. This individualistic idea that people are really trying to grab onto and make to be true for their lives. It's Barbie and it's Ken. And then after Barbie decides that, she has this moment, okay, at the end of the film. There's this scene, the, the last scene in the film. And I'm telling you what, I have scoured the internet for any article, opinion piece, random blog post of someone who would be talking about this last scene because it was kind of a big deal. And no one's talking about it. On Google, I couldn't find anything. Everyone wants to talk about the last line in the movie. I'm not talking about the last line in the movie. I'm talking about this last scene, okay? And it's Barbie, and she's with her creator, and she's having this moment where she's trying to figure out if she wants to become a person or not, okay? That's what she's saying. And so she asks her creator, she's like, so as a person, we just have a life and die? We just have a life and die? Is that how it works? To which her creator responds, yes, but... There is no planned purpose or story for you. And that's supposed to be encouraging in some way. That's supposed to bring some kind of comfort. I don't find that super encouraging. But while the scene is playing out, there's this song that's playing in the background. And it's entitled, What Was I Made For? What Was I Made For? What What Was I Made For is currently the number seven most popular song right now. What was I made for? Everyone's listening to this song. Everyone's asking this question. What was I made for? It's by Billie Eilish. You don't care. But, but Billie Eilish controls a lot of the philosophical teaching of the younger generation. Anyways, what was I made for? Right? And so this is the question that Barbie is leaving millions of people thinking about as they're exiting the theater. So then what was I made for? What were we made for? Come on, Barbie, give us an answer. And they don't. They're just like, No. No, go try and figure it out. We think that if you can figure it out for yourself, it's probably wrapped up in this idea of doing whatever makes you individually the most happy. So go try and figure it out. Thank you for your money. Bye. And that's where they leave you. And it's a, it's a crazy experience walking out of there. But here's what I'll tell you. We can't have answers for those things. And, and that's where the culture in the world is living right now. These are the thoughts of your kids. These are the thoughts of your spouses, your grandkids, your friends, your teachers. This is what people are trying to figure out. What was I made for? And this is why I actually love Young Life so much. This is why I love Young Life so much. Because Young Life, their motto is, you were made for this. You were made for this. And so Young Life's entire ministry model, their philosophy for ministry is all built on this one idea, this one word. And it's a word that starts with an R, and that word is relationships, relationships. And so as kids are going around camp, maybe you had some kids go to camp, some grandkids, some friends go to camp, maybe you went to camp. All around you see you were made for this, you were made for this, you were made for this. And that this that they're talking about is this idea of relationship, real, authentic, deep, and loving relationship, and the hope is that a student, a child, a teenager would see in the life of their leader someone who is giving up, sacrificing so much of their life to show up in the highs of life, in the lows of life, and in just the regular mundane of life. And that as they build that relationship with those kids, that they would begin to earn the right to share the message of the gospel. And the hope is that when they do that, that that real, deep, authentic, and loving relationship that they built with their leader would then translate into a relationship with Jesus. And so this is where the Barbie movie misses it, or Barbie the movie, whatever you want to call it. This is where it misses it, because people walk out of the theater and they're feeling sad and they're feeling confused because they're not sure what, was, what I was made for and I was just told that I'm supposed to only do life by myself and on My own. And Barbie's answer to trying to navigate this irrevocably messed up world is to pursue this idea of protection in isolation and individualism for the sake of finding purpose and happiness. It's totally void of relationship. And what someone who follows that line of thinking is going to find is loneliness. Depression and a dissatisfaction with life. It's gonna be hard to make it in this world, and that's why we learn in Proverbs 18:1 that Solomon tells us this: He says, One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires, he rebels against all sound. In other words, if you're going to try and do the thing where you just go off on your own and do life your own way because you think it's going to make you happy, what you're going to end up doing is you are going to rebel against all sound wisdom. And remember, wisdom is the skill to survive and thrive in this world. And so you're going to be going against the very thing that's going to help you make it and even enjoy your time in this world. We were not made for that. We were made for this. We were made for this. We were made to be in a relationship with God and with one another. But I don't fault the Barbie movie entirely, okay? I don't fault it entirely because uh, it, it did present a lot of issues that do exist in a messed up world. Unrealistic expectations that, that are put on people, historical mistreatment of those without power and authority, abuse, inequality, the devaluing and dehumanization of people. It's all there. And so I can understand why it seems like the answer at this point is probably just, well, let's all go do our own thing and hopefully that will fix it. But it won't work. But we here as followers of Jesus, we have the tools, forgiveness, repentance, sacrificial love that allow us to exist in real, healthy, loving, deep and authentic relationships with one another. And we get to demonstrate to the world just how beautiful relationships were created to be. And there's many kinds of relationships, right? And so the way that we see relationships the most expressed scripturally is through the idea of familial relationships, family relationships. And so that's why the title of my message today is Family Matters. Family Matters. Now, a big reason why... Uh, we get to exist in healthy relationships with one another, is because God has already demonstrated what that looks like for all of eternity. And so we get to see what this looks like in the doctrine of the Trinity. Let me talk about the Trinity, right? So the Trinity, this is the Godhead, okay? And so, oh that's not a great picture, up there is better. Anyways, right? So we have God, okay? We have God. We believe in one God in three persons. This is how God exists. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? They are three distinct persons, but they are all God. So the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, but they're all God. We kind of get that, okay? Kind of trying to wrap your mind around that. That's how the Godhead, that's how the Trinity works. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but basically the Trinity has existed in a perfectly equally valued and loving relationship with one another In God for all of eternity. Do we kind of get that? A perfectly equal, equally valued, loving relationship with one another for all of eternity. Because God is perfect and God is perfectly loving. And all three persons are equal in value to one another. And so the Father is not better than the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son is not better than the Holy Spirit. The father's not better than the son. The son's not better than the father. None is better than one another. They are all equal in value. Now that's important. Because here's what doesn't make sense in our minds, because we've been so conditioned by the rest of the world, and what's taking place in history. All three persons are equal in value, yet they have different roles and levels of authority that exist within the Trinity. That matters. God the Father has authority. Over the Son and over the Spirit. So the Son and the Spirit are in submission to the Father. Also, the Son has authority over the Spirit. And so the Son is simultaneously submitted to the Father as well as has authority over the Spirit. They all work together and they're still all equal in value. You're like, this is a lot. I know it's a lot. Okay, so stick with me, but we just talked about Barbie. So now we gotta do the Trinity. So <laughs> just, we gotta do this, okay? And it's, it's, it's hard for people to uh, understand what that's like. Because we often see life through the lens of how things work in like the workplace or or government, or honestly, how some churches have worked over the years. And and that's usually been uh, that, uh, sorry, uh, the common thought is that whoever has more authority is more valuable than those who are in submission to that authority, or worse yet. Those with authority have abused that authority as a means of controlling those who have been willingly submitted to that person. So our response in society has been to value the ability to have the power and authority over being one who is in a more submissive role. Okay? The Godhead or the Trinity proves to us that that is a flawed way of understanding how an actually equally valued and loving relationship is to actually work. Perfectly loving relationships demand that all are seen as equal in value, no matter who you are. But it's also necessary to maintain different roles within our relationships because when we do so, we are expressing the nature of God more fully. And this is why Jesus uses different familial relationships when describing how we are to relate to one another and as well as relating to God in His three persons. Are you kind of following that? Okay, let's just keep going. So across Scripture, and we can't get too deep on anyone specifically, but we see these relationships described. And so if you are a follower of Jesus— If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you have been adopted into the family of God, where God the Father is now your perfect heavenly Father, and you are one of His sons. You say, Cooper, but I am a girl. Hold on one second. When this stuff was written, okay, a son was a true heir to the throne. And so when you are adopted into the family of God, you become an heir to the throne of God. Now that's pretty cool when you think about it for a second. But being a child of God also then makes you the sibling of Jesus and siblings with one another. So we're all also brothers and sisters in Christ. So even if you hate your biological family, or just never want to talk to them again, or don't have family, When you place your faith in Jesus, you are adopted into the biggest family that's ever existed in history. And that's where you belong forever. That's good news. Now, we as the church are then also described as the bride of Christ. So, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are also his bride. So girls have to kind of get used to the idea of being sons, and guys have to get used to being the idea of brides, because that's just how it works scripturally in the family of God. So kind of get over it. But anyways, (laughs) It's crazy. I know. Some of this stuff is crazy, but you just gotta gotta rock with it because it's gonna make Scripture make a lot more sense, okay? Now, that means that when sin entered the world, to quote Barbie, okay, it created this irrevocably messed up world. Now, what does the word irrevocably mean? This is what it means. In a way that cannot be changed, reversed, or recovered. And that is mostly not right and rather hopeless. And that's how most people see our current state of affairs in this world. But ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you we do in fact have hope, okay? It's kind of right in the sense that based on anything that we do as people, apart from God and His power and His work, is irrevocably messed up. We can't do anything to change it, reverse, or recover what God originally created. So then why did God originally even create us in the world? What was I made for? What were we made for? Here's why we were created. God was pleased to create each and every single one of us so that we could be in a relationship with Him. That's why we were created. Not because He needed us, but because He loved us enough to allow us to know Him and to worship Him. Because ultimately that's our our purpose in life, that we get to glorify God in everything that we do. And sin broke that relationship in all of our other relationships, and we couldn't do anything about it. Our sin had a price that needed to be paid for, and it could only be paid by a perfect life. A price that required a perfect person to die to pay the price for our sin. A price that only God the Son could pay. So God the Father sent God the Son to earth, where God the Father gave up the life of His one and only Son, Jesus. And Jesus willingly died so that all of His brothers and sisters could enter back into a right relationship with their Heavenly Father. Can you imagine, as a parent or knowing parents, can you imagine if your parent gave up the life of their kid for you? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine one of your siblings dying so that you could live? That's what God did for us. But Jesus came back to life, defeating death once and for all, and proving that the love of God was even more powerful than death. But you and I both know the world is still messed up, just not irrevocably. People still make it hard to be in relationship with them. Things don't work the way that they should work. Sickness and death are all very real. But that's why Jesus, as our bridegroom, is coming back one day for his bride, for us, for the church where he will rid the world of all evil and injustice once and for all, bringing with him a new heaven and a new earth, where all of those who have been adopted into the family of God will exist together in perfectly loving relationships with and in the presence of the Godhead for the rest of eternity. Amen. That's good news. It's amazing. So why do I share all this? I say all this because the relationships in our families matter. Okay? And when I say families, I'm talking about our church family as well as whatever biological or blended family you belong to. Why do they matter? It's because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a child of God, and you're a brother and sister in Christ, and so none of us should ever feel totally alone. We weren't made for that. We were made to be together as a family. We can all always know and count on the fact that we belong in this family. And we all have different roles to play in families, as kids, as singles, as spouses, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. We are all going to have a unique role or roles that God has designed and equipped us to specially contribute to our families. But the good news is that no matter what specific role God has created you for, we all get to play what Kathy Keller calls the Jesus role. We all get to play the Jesus role. That when we operate in healthy, loving relationships with our kids, our spouses, our parents, our brothers and sisters in Christ here at our church, Regardless of what the role or multiple roles you fit into, we all have the opportunity to reflect some aspect of Jesus's life and ministry. So when we all get better at living out those roles in our lives, then we will begin to express the fullness of who Jesus is to the rest of the world around us, and they will see something that no one else can find anywhere else, and that is loving relationships where all people are valued Equally. So then the question becomes how? And the Proverbs have a lot to say about the parent-child relationship and the husband and wife relationship, but I tried to get something in there for everyone, so I did my best, but we're going to try and get through this, okay? So here we go. Now, kids, I'm going to start with kids. If you're a kid, great job. Now, when I speak of kids, I'm speaking to children who are still living with or who are dependent upon their parents for survival, for the moment. So definitely like high school, maybe young adult, college age years, those kinds of things. Uh, It gets a little more tricky there, but here's one of the first things that Solomon writes when he opens up the entire book of Proverbs. He says this, he says, "'Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching.'" And all the parents said, amen. That's right. Okay, I'm a former kid, okay? Okay. I was in high school, and when I was in high school, I definitely knew better than my parents did. Not really. That's what I thought though. <laughs> and when I thought that, that was when I made some of the biggest mistakes in life. So here's what I would encourage all of the kids who are listening to this to do. Honor your parents. Honor your parents. And I know not all parents are great parents. There's some bad parents. I've heard some stories that would make your skin crawl very sad. Very heartbreaking stuff about how some kids have been treated by their parents. And God hates that, and it's not cool. So, I get that not everyone's situation is the same. Here's what I know though. (coughs) God gave you your parents, and He gave your parents authority over your life to provide for you, to protect you, and to love you. So we should work from an understanding that our parents know better than us and try to humbly submit to their authority. Because look at what Solomon goes on to say. He also says, And a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond To rebuke. So if you would like to be wise, if you would like to survive and thrive in life, then you should heed or you should listen to your parents' instructions for your life. And if you're like, I don't care about being wise, let me try this one. This is what Moses writes for the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land of the Lord that your God is giving you. Okay? So if you want it to go well with you in your life, you should honor your parents. And this goes for everyone, okay? Unless your parents are actively telling you to participate in what you know to be sin, you are going to be blessed for honoring your parents by listening, trusting, and being obedient to their instruction. And that's why that word honor is so important for all of us, no matter how old you are. It doesn't say admire. It doesn't say admire. Because some of us, we have pretty evil parents, not me, not me, but, if they're listening, not you, but pretty evil parents who we should not be like. That's some people's story. But no matter what they are like, we should honor, respect, forgive, and bless our parents, not just for their sake, but for your sake and for society's sake as a whole. Because that will allow us to much better act the same way toward our Heavenly Father who is perfect. Just like Jesus did as a son submitting to his Father's authority. And we see that throughout Jesus' life. Okay, now if we want our children to grow up and be God-honoring, parent-honoring people that reflect the life of Jesus, then parents, you are called to train up children on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from. So parents, this is your calling right now, to raise up the next generation, okay? Now, all training requires what? Discipline. Someone said it. Yes. So parenting does too. Now, parents, if you have you read the proverbs, okay, you will know that when it speaks of discipline, it uses this word rod. Okay, this word has caused a lot of trauma in church history for years. Okay, because people don't necessarily understand what it means. Now, when it comes to parenting your children, you might see things like this. Proverbs 13:24 says, "Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them." Now our English reading immediately clips in, clicks into like swaths of different child abuse techniques, okay? And the conversation of corporal punishment, we're not having that here, okay? That you, that's a good one to have, but we're not having it. The Bible, however, is in no way advocating for brutalizing your children. And so if that is what is taking place, that is sinful, that is evil, we hate that. Now, the rod in the context of this society, was something that had a more broad understanding for when authority would exercise discipline over those who were submitted to them. So you can see this, okay? That's why I think Proverbs 2019 says it a little more clearly for us. It says this Discipline your children, and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. In other words, discipline is in no way a bad thing, but it can become bad when done incorrectly and for the wrong reason. Discipline done well is good and necessary for your children because they are born sinful and in need of correction. Believe it or not, I got disciplined. I got disciplined a lot. I got disciplined most of my whole family. Who's keeping track, okay? I am. And it happened, and I hated it when it happened. It was the worst. Honestly, super honest, I am so glad I was disciplined. Because it worked. I can't believe it. And look at look at what the author of Hebrew says about discipline. He says this endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Keeps going on. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. It's true. This is my experience. This is what I lived. Uh, How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits, God, and live? And it keeps going. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Now, sometimes parents get it wrong, okay? Parents, you should do your best, but kids understand that parents are going to get it wrong sometimes. They're trying to do it, hopefully from a place of love and not anger. They're going to do their best. They're not going to always get it right, but... God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. Last one, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is parenting, folks. This is an aspect of parenting. This isn't all parenting. This is just what the Proverbs get to a lot, okay? But how you discipline is what really counts, okay? Because you should never discipline out of anger only out of love. Now, I'm not a parent, okay, and I don't have any news for you today. Now, as parents, you are called to discipline your children just the way that God does for us. And so I took the advice of a parent, and here's what Andy Stanley would say about disciplining as a parent. He would say, always discipline toward relationship, okay? The idea of discipline should be that because your sinful child has done something wrong, they have damaged their relationship, whether it be with a sibling, a parent, a teacher, whoever it may be, because of their wrong, they have created this rift in a relationship, and that needs to be restored, okay? And so him and his wife, Sandra and Andy, would always discipline by the three Ds. They would discipline for this. They would discipline for disrespect. They would discipline for dishonesty, and they were were disciplined for disobedience, okay? Because all three damage your child's relationship with someone else. But parents, disciplining your kids in love, okay, is just one aspect of parenting, one of many. Now, I'm going to argue that there is an aspect of parenting that is the most important for your kid's success, and it is by how you love one another. And so lastly today, we're going to talk about marriage. Now, I truthfully can't say everything I want to about marriage in three minutes, but here we go, okay? I'm going to give you two verses from the Proverbs, and then we're going to wrap it up. Now I want to remind you all that when Solomon wrote the Proverbs, he was writing this book to younger versions of himself. Solomon is a dude, okay? Understand that, okay? Now this, I, I don't want anyone to get like super offended here. But the Proverbs, the principles in them, they're helpful for everyone. But here's what he says in Proverbs 21:19. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Again, this is two guys. The same is true for a quarrelsome and nagging husband, okay? You can put just whatever spouse you want in there. Now, the point is, if your marriage is suffering because of constant unresolved conflict, your whole life suffers for it. It'd be better to not have anyone than to have a spouse who is constantly creating conflict in your life because when you're married, it's not just your life. But when you get married, you take two lives and you make them one. So if half is always making life miserable, life is miserable. And your kids are going to suffer for it, and they're going to learn way more and be way more formed by that relationship than anything else. So, I know that a child will be full of joy, security, and peace when their parents are committed to loving one another. Which brings us to our last Proverbs, 18.22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. July 18th is my anniversary. I read this on July 18th. I thought that was rather nice. Now it's true. Now, here's the thing. Again, You can say he who finds a wife or a husband. The implication here is that that husband or wife, that spouse, is a good one. Okay? Is a good one. And so we have these two options when it comes to marriage. We can either have favor from the Lord or be alone in the desert, right? Those are the two things. And more and more people are choosing to just be alone. Just be alone. And it's not because people are afraid to get married. That's part of it. But the bigger reason is that there are just fewer and fewer people who are seen as able to make good spouses to marry. Because you know what it takes to be a good spouse, a good husband, a good wife? It takes being willing to die. It takes being willing to give up your whole life to love someone who is different than you. It's the opposite of what the rest of the world wants right now, which is to be able to just do life your own way. It's Barbie and it's Ken. That's not how marriage works. It's not it's husband and it's wife. It's husband and wife. Every morning you're married, you get to wake up and to choose to love your spouse by laying down your life to serve them, by putting their needs before your own, and by seeking to work together as a loving team as much as possible. And husbands, coming from a husband, You are called to die first. And so if your wife is beating you to dying first all the time, you need to figure out how to die first better and more frequently. That's all I'll say about it. Now, here's why. Because our world needs more positive examples of what it looks like to be in a loving marital relationship where both husband and wife are treated equally, but where they are living out their specific Jesus rules as God ordered it to work. Because when we have healthy, loving, and sacrificial marital relationships in our families, the gospel is much more clearly seen by the rest of the world. Because God could have decided that when sin entered the world, it's God and it's people. But he didn't want that. He said, it's God and people. Jesus didn't want to be separated from us, the church, his bride. And so he modeled what it looks like to be our bridegroom. He gave up his whole life. He laid down his life on the cross, showing us what it truly looks like to be in a beautiful marriage of love. And it requires sacrificing ourselves for the one that we have promised God that we would be faithful to, forsaking all others so long as we both shall live. And it's the beautiful picture of Jesus dying for his bride that we get to look to and place our faith in. So it doesn't matter if in this world we don't have a family to call our own, whether we're single, married, dating, engaged, divorced, an only child, a child with a lot of brothers and sisters, parents, widow, widower, grandparents, great-grandparents. No matter what our family situations look like on this earth, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are welcomed into the family of God where we are sons of our Heavenly Father, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the Bride of Jesus, our Savior. But our families matter, because family matters. Because when we reflect those jesus rolled relationships in our families here in this world, the world will see the fullness of Jesus wherever we go. Because one last time, Crossroads, we were made for relationships. What was I made for? We were made for relationships. A relationship with God and a relationship with one another as a family. We were made to live and to love and to belong and to be as a family was meant to be. So let's live it together as a family. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for how good you are. God, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you that you sent your son to die for us so that we could be in your family and be cared for and provided, provided for by you. God, I pray that that would be true for us here in our church. God, in our church family, that we would lay our lives down for one another to serve one another. God, I pray that that would be true in our families that we go home to. God, that, that we would lay our lives down for those that we love the same way that Jesus did for us. God, I pray that if there's someone in here today who is not part of your family, you would speak to their heart, God, that you would move in them and that they would take a step and say, yes, I want to be adopted into your family today. I know there's nothing I can do to earn it or deserve it, but I believe that Jesus really died for me. God, help us to be a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be a family to the rest of the world around us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now we are going to enter...